Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. We continue to explore the description, imagery, and teachings of spiritual realms. We begin with a focus on the use of Hades and Sheol in the biblical text. Then we explore the modern notion of heaven as a golden ticket to paradise. How do the modern notions compare with biblical reality? We will talk through the differences, the similarities, and the lessons therein. The way we perceive these heavenly realms impacts the way we live our daily life on this earth, the most immediate of the spiritual realms. Okay, well today we're going to continue our study of uh, hell and the, the future and what's, what's ahead of us as in the... Come in. And what's ahead of us in the, in the future, our prophecy sequence here that we're in. And uh, last lesson that we had, we talked about one of the three major um, uh, kind of hell places, if you will. And the, today we're going to talk about the other two. So the, the three places that are, that are involved with the discussion of hell, and we usually get them all muddled up, is Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A, uh, Hades, or Sheol, and uh, the Lake of Fire. So these are the three major kind of uh, uh, termino- pieces of terminology you really have to sort out if you're going to study this and, and actually hear what the Bible has to say. Now last time we focused in on Gehenna, and we saw that it is actually a shortening for Geh, which is valley, and Ben, a son of Hinnom, Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. It's a literal valley. It's still there today on the one side of the kind of uh, snow cone-looking uh, structure that is Jerusalem. And on the other side is the Kidron Valley. So you've got Gehenna on one side, or Valley of Hinnom, Hinnom Valley, and, and Kidron Valley on the other. And this Hinnom Valley was the place where they did uh, sacrifices to Moloch, it was the downwind portion of the city where all the muck and, and uh, uh, sewage from the city was swept, uh, where they threw the dead carcasses, and they would typically have that lit, lit on fire. And So you got this picture of worms and fire and corruption and uh, additionally wickedness that is this picture of Gehenna. We looked at Jeremiah 19 where... Uh, Jeremiah takes the um, elders to this potter's gate, which is one of the gates, and it's the gate that uh, overlooks the Valley of Hinnom. And in Jeremiah 19, uh, Jeremiah says, this valley is not going to be called Tophet anymore because Tophet was another word for Gehenna. Tophet means drums. And the reason they called it Tophet is because when they would sacrifice children to Moloch, by placing them in this red-hot iron idol, they would beat the drums to drown out the crying. And he says, this is not going to be called Tophet any longer. It's going to be called the Valley of Slaughter because I'm sending Babylon in and there's going to be so many deaths and I'm not going to be able to bury them all. They're just going to pile them up in this valley. So this very uh, vivid picture of death, destruction... And this is used in the scripture as a, as a picture of what sin does. 
and I would claim it's a generic picture uh, that you then by context have to uh, understand what is what is being talked about here. It's typically, instead of put in Gehenna, it's typically translated hell. But um, I, I think that actually mis- I think it's actually a mistranslation. That's my that's my view. And when when Jesus is telling the disciples, "Hey, you're you need to um, make sure you take care of these children because if you don't, it's better that you have a millstone tied around your neck and you throw in the sea than mislead people and go to Gehenna." And he's talking about this valley. Well, so what does that mean to them? Most certainly, if you look at Paul talking about sin, the wages of sin is death, he's actually in a discipleship passage when he says that. Uh, And it's true for all of us. If uh, Travis were to decide to leave Denise, uh, that would create a lot of death. It would, might might be a physical death. I don't know. Denise pretty feisty. Sin brings death. You know, death is separation, and when we sin, we separate, we create all kinds of separations, and that's a current reality. And part of this picture is to help us understand how immensely damaging sin is to us in this life. So, what does Gehenna have to do with the next life, and what about Hades, and what about the lake of fire? So, we're going to talk about that uh, today. Let's uh, turn to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to do what I think is the most vivid passage about this topic other than Revelation. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. I'm I'm going to go through this a couple times. It's pretty short. Let me just read it first, and then let me give you some background, then we'll go through it again. Luke 16, verse 19, There was a certain rich man, this is Jesus speaking, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, So it was that the beggar died and was carried off by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son... Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. 
Okay, so this is a vivid picture. What does it mean? Let me give you some background. First of all, I think it's important to understand something about this term Hades, that Hades and Gehenna are not, uh, are not synonyms. Okay, they're not synonyms. Hades has a very specific definition, and um, it is, it is the, being used here as a synonym for Sheol. Now let me show you uh, some, some uh, proof of that, because after you understand what Sheol is, it may, it may uh, create a little bit of uh, tension relative to what you've traditionally thought, because a lot of what I'm going to tell you today <coughs> goes against what we've kind of traditionally been told about all this. And again, as I've said in this whole prophecy thing, we're going to focus on what we can know. Everything else is just a model. We'll make sure we don't miss the big point. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and uh, Peter's sermon here. In Peter's sermon, he says, uh, let's look at 2.22, men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because he was not possible, it was not possible, he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, now he quotes the Psalms, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. So Jesus is in Hades in this, in this passage. This is a quote from Psalm chapter 16. And if we went to Psalm chapter 16, the word that is used in Psalm chapter 16 is the word Sheol. So Peter quotes chapter 16 of Psalms that says Sheol, and when he quotes it to this group of Jewish um, um, men and women that are, he's telling about Jesus and asking them to accept Jesus as their Messiah, he just substitutes it directly, substitutes Hades for Sheol. A further proof that they're synonyms is the Septuagint. The Septuagint is uh, called that because apparently 70 scholars translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. You can get a copy of it today. You can look online and it's a Greek um, uh, manuscript of the New Testament. I use an interlinear because so, I can't read Greek. Uh, but if you go look... Uh, for best I can tell, it's not, there wasn't an easy tool on my thing where I could actually tell it for sure. But best I can tell, every instance of Sheol in the Old Testament is, uh, trans, is substituted with Hades. Now, Hades in this world, this is a Greek-Roman world that we're in here. Hades in this world was a very well-developed concept. And if you go look at Greek mythology... Hades is uh, a, an actual place 
It's a place where the dead go. It has all sorts of geography associated with it. There's a river sticks, and you got to cross this river. And there's, but no, most notably, there's two compartments. There's a compartment where the righteous go, and there's a compartment where the wicked go, and there's a gulf between them in Hades. There's other geography as well. There's a field for the battle for the heroes and all this sort of thing. And uh, the 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 part that's called uh, the, for the good part, I never can Ellie. Elysium, Elysium, and the bad part is Tartarus, I think. So if, it's interesting here, because if we go back to Luke chapter 16, what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 16 uh, is actually porting in this Hades concept, but he shifts some things. Now, I have a friend who grew up as an Orthodox Jew, and he's actually a Jewish rabbi, and I asked him, what did the Jews think? What would the first century Jews have been thinking about this? It was very interesting. His, his uh, comment back to him, he was kind of short, was very interesting. And um, he said that the way the Jews thought of it, they, that Hades and Sheol are the same thing. And Hades and Sheol was just the place where you go when you die. Everybody goes there. Which compartment you're in has to do with how you lived your life. Uh, you know how we say, if you go to heaven, who's at the gate in our in our world? Peter. Peter's at the gate. Who's at the gate in the Jewish world? Abraham. Abraham. Yeah, Abraham's at the gate. So you got the bosom of Abraham. And the way they thought of it is that you got Abraham's actually guarding this gulf. And that's part of what we saw in this picture here. And decide, and you can't, you can't go through. He's got, sort of got the keys there, if you will. Uh, but there's a really distinct difference here between the Jewish version. They still have the place of the dead and the two compartments. But uh, they don't call this... I'm sorry, I just can't... Ellie, Elysium. I don't know why I can't remember that word. Elysium. The whole audience said it. That uh, Elysium. Um, th- th- he doesn't call it Elysium. What does he call it? Abraham's bosom. Yeah. There's another word that they called it, that the Jews called it. Paradise, that's right. And there's actually one more that's generally not in the Scripture, but it was used in the Talmud and so forth. Gani Don, which is the Garden of Eden. So there's an understanding among the Jewish uh, sort of uh, perspective that the Garden of Eden's reconstituted. And we, we see that picture in Revelation, don't we? I'll give to you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the middle of the paradise of God, that sort of thing. So... We, we, have this, we have this Hades, we have this Sheol. And let me show you that um, an Old Testament verse that, that shows that everybody expected to go there. And sometimes uh, Sheol is interesting because I think our sort of uh, culture is confused about this. Sheol is often translated in stuff like this. Uh, I mean, like New King James and other things. Uh, with other words, 3735, and uh, so let me just start in 33, and he recognized it and said, it's my son's tunic, a wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, mourned for his son many days, and all his sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Now, 
again, the translation, this sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Do you think of it going to your grave and with your son? They usually don't bury people in the same grave. I guess in, in Israel they put people in the same tomb, so that could be it. But this is the word sheol. And, and what, what the translators tend to do is if it sounds sort of hellish, they'll put hell in there. And if it doesn't sound kind of hellish, they'll put pit or grave. That's what the translators did. Uh, the LXX translators didn't do that. They just put Hades. And really, it should just say Sheol, because Jacob expects to go to Sheol and see uh, Joseph there in that particular case. Well, Jesus went to Sheol uh, back in Acts 2, but he didn't stay there. Well, he, his spirit was not stay there. Why? Because he defeated death. Now, additionally, it's important to note some things about this uh, parable that Jesus is telling here. Let's go back and look at Luke 16 now that you kind of have that background. It's Sheol. Everybody's in Sheol. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, where did he say he was going to be the day he died? Paradise. Paradise. Who was he going to take with him to paradise? The thief on the cross. That's right. So this is, this is Sheol. He's going to uh, Abraham's bosom. Okay, so let's go back and look at uh, 1619. There's a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. What kind of life was the rich man living? It's a good life, right? He's real, he's real uh, has a great benefit. Uh, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Lazarus means blessed of God. Full of sores, laid at his gate, wanting to be fed with the crumbs from the table. The dogs licked his sores. So what kind of life is Lazarus living? Miserable. Is he getting any crumbs from the table? Not getting any crumbs from the table. He wants the crumbs. He's not getting the crumbs. What's he getting? Licked by the dogs. What are the dogs getting? The crumbs. So the dogs get the crumbs. Lazarus gets licked. You get this picture? Okay, so then he dies. The angels come and take him to Abraham's bosom. And then the rich man died and was buried... And being torments in Hades. So this is interesting too because Sheol and Hades are the same place. However, he's using the word Hades to apply to the torment side and Abraham's bosom to apply to the paradise side. Which again, this is he's got the same basic structure as the Greeks but with very distinct differences. Okay, and then the rich man also died and was buried. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So... What does that tell you about this place? You can see everybody, right? Yeah. What else does it tell you? What's the Bible tell us about Abraham? Is he dead or alive? Well, he's dead, but what did Jesus say? I'm the God of the living. Okay, so um, this is still Abraham. He hasn't turned into some sort of spirit or other person or third party. It's still Abraham. He's still Abraham. And the rich man recognized Lazarus, didn't he? So what does that tell us? You're still yourself, right? Okay. And he remembers his brothers, right? And he's concerned about his brothers. What does that tell you? He still has his conscience. Isn't this interesting? And then he cried said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. He may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. What does that tell you? It's not a happy place, right? Do you want to go to... You, is, Jesus is telling this story. Is this where you want to go? This is not where you want to go. 
But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now be comforted. But now he's comforted, and you're tormented. And besides all this, there's a gulf here. I, I can't let you cross, and I can't let I can't let anybody pass. Abraham has the keys, kind of an idea. And he says, Then I beg you, therefore, Father Abraham, send my send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers. He may testify them. They'll come that they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, Well, they have a, they have Moses. He says, No, no, no. That's not good enough because they need to do something. What is it they need to do? What is it? Repent. They need to repent. Now, this is strange to us because we grew up with with the idea that there's this golden ticket that you get and Jesus is kind of Willy Wonka. And if you get the golden ticket, you get in. And if you don't get the golden ticket, you don't get in. And that's really all there is. And uh, this is a much different picture than that. It's not just that. Because Hades and Sheol is a temporary place. It, it doesn't last. Let me show you where it's a temporary place. Look at Revelation 20, verse 14. And even though the script, I, to my knowledge, this is the only place in the Scripture that tells you that Hades and Sheol is a temporary place, and yet the Jews understood that this was a temporary place. 2014, let's start with 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So Hades is the... I think here, uh, Hades could mean both compartments. I'm, I'm inclined to think it's the just the torment compartment since that's the way Jesus used it. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Isn't that interesting? So Hades is a temporary deal. Where does it end up? In the lake of fire. The lake of fire is permanent, as best I can tell. We'll talk about it next. The Jews, according to my Orthodox friend, understood that that this Gehenna, I'm sorry, this uh, Hades, was actually a temporary place. In fact, he told me that that the Catholic idea of purgatory came straight from this Jewish understanding of Hades. Now, to uh, us as Protestants, the very word purgatory just sort of uh, sends you into shingles. It's, it's just uh, something you cannot consider. It's the worst of the worst even possible to talk about. And there's a good reason for that. The doctrine of purgatory as it was um, developed in the Middle Ages was exceedingly corrupt. Um, the, the basic doctrine that got developed, and let's, let's use Sheol here as an example, is if you're going to go, if you live an unrepentant life, and this is this is the same thing that my Jewish friend told me the Jews understood. If you live an unrepentant life, if you're a believer and you live an unrepentant life, you go to this negative compartment, which they also call Gehenna, for a time, and this purges your sins. And so this was a huge motivating factor for people. You know, Jesus here considers that this is sufficient of a picture to want you not to live a corrupt life. Even though it's temporary. And what the Catholics figured out is that this was such a huge motivating factor that they could 
raise a gazillion dollars off of it. And this is kind of what men do. So they actually turned all the sacraments into fundraising things. They turned uh, the blood, shed blood of Jesus on the cross for our sins into wafer sales. So you go to church and you have and you don't get to go to heaven at all unless you go and get that wafer every week. Uh, and when you do, they, they actually today they still stick a coin thing right in front of you. Uh, and you can't have the wafer unless you've gone to confession. And who, who gets what happens at confession? You put, put the coins in the... Yeah, because we feed the priest. And then to top it all off, they said you can actually buy your way out of this Gehenna. So you can go ahead and live a wicked life like the rich man did. And as long as you give sufficient money to them, uh, you get a free pass and you get to go out of torments and into the Abraham's bosom, so to speak. Uh, and you can live your life the way you want to, and it's just a matter of money. And they put it on a, a proportionate scale to your income. Isn't that cool? And so it was really corrupt. This is this is actually what triggered the Reformation. Was, and and interestingly enough, Luther in his uh, thesis did not uh, say you should get rid of all this. What's the word for this that I'm talking about? Indulgences. He didn't say get rid of indulgences altogether. He said get rid of the ones that are forever. Because you could actually pay enough money where you got like a lifetime uh, fly anywhere you want to on American Airlines sort of thing. So this this is kind of foreign to us because um, we have this idea if you get the golden ticket, then just everything's good. And it's created a lot of tension in my mind for uh, why... So if, if I'm in, and when I get there, everything's the same and nothing matters, then why would I want to live all this obedience and pain now? Why don't I just get along and kind of live my life you know, as, as much like this rich man as possible and you know, throw the beggars under the table and let the dogs live? Why, why, do, I, why do I want to do that? And, and that's not... I think the picture the Bible really comes up with. Now, interestingly enough to me, this has actually become a topic that's become fairly popular, uh, at least on the stuff that I read, and I don't read extensively. And the interesting thing to me is that people like me who believe hell's real, and I told you when we got into this, it's going to be worse than you think, right? Uh they they tend to, we tend to kind of say, I don't want to talk about this because I like the idea that they're going to go to hell and I don't want anybody to get off. That that tends to be kind of the flavor of it. And the people that I, that I hear talking about this stuff and that I read, they say the same things I've said and then they come up with a totally different conclusion with, well, since the old model that we were taught is wrong, then uh, this new model must say that it's really not that bad and we don't need to worry about it. And my response to that is, what? What are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to give you a model at the end of this class today that I think is kind of wild. Again, the big, the, big points, the big point's clear. The model's just the model. Let's, let's don't focus on you know, the, the mechanics of how this works. We don't know. But I'm, I'm going to tell you from my standpoint, this, this model here has not made me think of hell as a uh, don't worry about it thing. It's made me think about 
not only sin, but also every life, everything I decision I make in life, how much it matters. And to understand that pain in this life is actually a really good thing if it comes through obedience. Because the alternative is pain later. That's the picture I get from this. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.